Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. It's a bit of a weird Arscast this week because, well, Thursday night football. The Arscast comes out on a Friday morning and, well, you know, normally on a Thursday I've got kind of the day to prepare or record or I can get it done in sections or bits or even if I wait till the evening, it's just there. I've got the whole evening. I can work during the day, sit down in the evening, record the podcast and it's there ready and waiting for you on a Friday morning. Of course, when you're playing on a Thursday evening... Well, that makes it a little bit more difficult because there's all the work that goes in pre-match and then there's the match work, the live blog and the match reports and the player ratings and all the post-match stuff as well. And then you you can still got to do a podcast. No point me doing a podcast all about what happened before West Brom because tomorrow the only thing we're going to want to talk about is the West Brom game. So what the hell do I do? Well, what I'm going to do uh, is chat to Philippe Auclaire about stuff in general, about, well, what a difficult week it's been, or what a difficult couple of months it's been. Certainly the pressure has been growing and mounting, and after the game against Crystal Palace uh, on Sunday, the 1-1 draw, well, I won't say it was straw that broke the camel's back for people, but it just meant that there was an awful lot of discussion and debate about the manager, about what he's done, about the way this season has gone, about people's faith in him, and about what he's facing, I guess, in terms of his job at Arsenal. Not that anything is really going to change, but certainly there's more pressure than ever before. So I'm going to chat to Philippe about what he thinks about that and what he thinks about the manager's position, what he thinks about all kinds of stuff surrounding that. So that's that's one part of it. And then later on, after I've done all the uh, match stuff and the live blog and the reports and blah, 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 then I'm going to chat to somebody who was at the game and uh, hopefully we can have a nice chat. I'd like a nice chat about the game. That would be good. I'm not uh, not suggesting that if we win tonight, everything is rosy in the garden or everything is going to be great and wonderful, but I'm really hopeful that we can talk about an Arsenal win because regardless of anything else, we have to get into the top four. We have to, or top three even, uh, because that's in our hands. Because, well, look, whatever you think about the Champions League and however boring or tedious it's become over the years, most of that is down to us as a football club not doing enough uh, on the pitch or off the pitch to make us a team that's competitive in the Champions League. But when we're talking uh, this week about the futures of Mesut Ozil and Alexis Sanchez, when we're talking about bringing in big players, everyone wants a world-class striker, they want uh, a good winger, they want a good centre-half, they want more midfielders. If you want the best players, it really helps if you're in the Champions League. It is not the be-all and end-all. You can still... Uh, attract good players if you're not in the Champions League, but it makes it easier for you to do so if you are. The financial side of things is not as relevant or not as important as it once was because of the TV money, but still, the players want to play in it, uh, and it makes your club more attractive. So that's what we've got to focus on, and that's why I hope that later on when I talk to uh, somebody who was at the game and, and saw it all, well, it's going to be difficult, isn't there? Because there's only going to be about four people at the game tonight, but hopefully I'll be able to track one of them down. Uh, we can talk about good stuff and Arsenal win and Arsenal goals and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and as I'm sitting here this evening, getting ready to do all the, the pre-match stuff, like really terrible news has come in uh, about Prince, uh, who is now called Prince again, not the, the artist formerly known as Prince. Prince has died. And it's weird. 2016 seems to be a pretty bad year for celebrities. He was only 57. Fucking hell. 
I mean, I would never claim to be the uh, the biggest Prince fan in the world, but he was part of my soundtrack growing up, and what he did was uh, amazing. Some of his music was just incredible. And, you know, coming in this year when we also lost David Bowie as well, it's like these icons are are just disappearing. Makes you think, you know. Does make you think. I don't know what it makes you really think other than, like, fuck, people get old and die, and that's kind of what happens. Why the fuck am I worrying about football and that kind of stuff? I had a friend, uh, a guy I was in school with. Uh, I don't know where he is now. I don't know where half the guys. No, I take that back. I don't know where pretty much all of the guys that I was in school with are. But uh, John McCabe, he was a massive Prince fan. Huge. He had all the albums. Whenever we were in his house, we uh, we had to listen to Prince. That's what happened. Man, 57, though. That's fuck. That's nothing. That's really young. I know if you're 20 and you're listening to this, you're going, 57, (laughs) that's really old. Really fucking isn't, you know. So, man, there we are. Prince gone, David Bowie gone. You just never know, do you? The time or the place or the moment. So, you know, what can we learn? Enjoy life. Try and be a good person. Don't be a cunt to other people. And, uh, I don't know. Cuddle your dog. I guess that's about the size of it. So look, anyway, look, look. Let's um, let's move on and let's uh, let's talk about football. <laughs> yes, football, because that's so important, and that's why we're all here. Nothing else matters but football and winning football matches. But look, it is. It's all context, isn't it? And uh, in the context of this podcast, that's um, that's what we do. So let's do it. Let's talk to Philippe O'Claire. <laughs> Hello, Andrew. Hello, hello. Um, I was thinking maybe I could just uh, sit here and play prefab Sprout Records for the next 20 minutes or something, but... That would be a very good idea, actually. It, it would be a good idea. I know you're a fan, so um, we, we we could do that, or, or we could discuss what's going on at the club and with Arsene Wenger at the moment. Um, is this the most troublesome time that he will have faced at the club? How many times have we talked about that? Have we asked this question? I, um, I, I lose count. It's become um, a kind of a chorus which is reprised uh, at the end uh, or during every single season. We've got a number of verses. They're a bit different from time to time, but the chorus is always the same at the end. And uh, here we go again. And uh, I don't know if troublesome is the word. I think it's more a feeling of um, genuine tiredness exhaustion, mental exhaustion, emotional exhaustion, which is felt by many people within and without the club, um, amongst the fans. And sometimes, actually, when I was listening to, to, to Arsene after the game against Crystal Palace, which was uh, honestly very, very <laughs> quite pitiful uh, at the end, mm. uh, I, I got the feeling that... Um, this exhaustion was also um, to be felt in what he was saying and the way he was saying it. And uh, I couldn't sense in his, uh, in his tone in particular, the, you know, a, a will to, to rebel against the, uh, this weird thing which is happening to, to the club and to the team at the moment, so, you know, which we saw against West Ham when you thought, oh, okay, 2-0 up, playing well, um, should be in the bag. 
Um, and then, well, it wasn't in the bag. Yeah. And then against Crystal Palace, who had one shot on target, and uh, equalized. Then, as a matter of fact, I, I, I genuinely thought in, in the last few minutes of the game that they could have gone on to win it. That's what, the way it felt from, from the stands. So, yeah. oh my gosh, what's going on here? So, I mean, do you think and, that, uh, do you think that, like, this, um, th- this tiredness that is obviously felt by fans by what's happened, yes. he's feeling that in relation to specifically this season or, or perhaps the inability to make the team or address the issues that the team have had since the turn of the year because the form has been poor. He's obviously worked on the training ground to try and arrest the slide, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Do, do you feel like there's a fatigue within him that he's been un, unable to do that? I think there's, he's asking himself questions. And that, that's the thing, you know, when, uh, when you ask him, well, can you put your finger on what exactly is not ticking at the moment, why it is that uh, the team is not as sharp as it um, should be, uh, that uh, they create chances, but they, not, they don't necessarily convert them. The Olivier Giroud is now without a goal in, what is, what is it, 12 games, something like that? Mm. Um, you, you get a feeling he hasn't got the answers himself at the moment, and that obviously is working hard on it. He's, he's trying to find you know, um, a solution. I'm, I'm quite sure of that. But that, uh, in a way, um, I mean, you must realize, as we all do, that this season was Arsenal's golden opportunity to, to, to win the title. I mean, you know, it's not the Arsenal team of four or five years ago. It's an Arsenal team which has recruited Mesut Ozil, Alexis Sanchez, Petr Cech, and Mohamed Elmenimou, by the way, is an excellent acquisition. Mm. Uh, Alexis Wobi has come from the ranks and showing, you know, game after game that he... He can be a very, very important um, player for Arsenal for years to come. So it's one of the mysteries, actually. If you, if you go through the squad, a player by player, I mean, there are some who have started to deceive, certainly. Uh, there are some who haven't quite peaked. Uh, I think, you know, Aaron Ramsey has had, again, loads of uh, fitness problems. And he looked a bit like a little boy lost, I must say, when he came on against Crystal Palace. And... He was done for pace on, on a couple of occasions in pretty spectacular fashion. Um, but if you go to the team, too, actually, that's not too bad. Mitchell Moria has had a very good season. Bellerin has been fantastic. Koscielny uh, has been Koscielny. Gabriel has, uh, has progressed. Uh, Permata Zaka is, is showing his age and perhaps uh, hasn't been trusted as he should have been by, by Vanga. I mean, I'm one of the people who believe that. He, he would have been a great asset uh, at uh, the bowling ground in particular, when, when you see the, the havoc that uh, Andy Carroll was, uh, was creating in the box. But you still, you look around and you still cannot put your finger on it any more than Zanka can. Mm. I mean, it's true that the team is predictable, that we can name uh, the starting eleven. Uh, pretty much as much as we can name Ranieri starting eleven when Vardy is not suspended. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it is quite easy to prepare against that team, but the, the technical quality uh, of it should ensure that in a season where people are underperforming, um, you know, it, it shines through and and it shows in the results. And the fact is that we have a team that was top of the league at, at, at the start of the year, the calendar year. Uh, with a relatively easy run-in, I said relatively easy uh, run-in compared to some of its competitors, and um, which has faltered mm. in a way that is quite spectacular. Uh, you, you even think back to what happened in the in, in the Champions League by by looking at 
Barcelona's recent performances. I mean, mm. I'm putting away the 8 mil against Deportivo uh, La Coruña, which probably stands in Spanish for something like the team that isn't. <laughs> but um, that Barcelona team, as, as was shown by, by Atletico, as was shown by other teams as well, as was, was there for the taking. Mm. Really. So, so you, have, um, you have regrets. Uh, and I, I think part of the um, lack of um, belief that there is in the ground when you go to the games is partly due to the lack of belief of the players themselves and of the uncertainty regarding, you know, around Wenger. And yeah. he's not exuding the his usual authority or uh, uh, he's not attacking uh, or, or, or dealing with the situation with the figure sure. that perhaps he has done in the past. If, if it was another manager, and, sorry, I mean, if it was another manager at another club, we would be talking about how he seems to, if not lost the dressing room, be unable to get his message through to his players to communicate exactly what he wants. And there's been a... I suppose when you look at the, the football that Arsenal are playing this season, it's very difficult to, to look at what they do on the pitch and associate that with Arsene Wenger and the way that Arsene Wenger teams have played throughout the years. I mean, do you think there's a, a sort of a, a confusion within him that he doesn't quite know what the best way to play with the players he's got is? Um, that is a possibility. Um, there's one thing which has, though, which has um, crossed my mind recently is that uh, you may remember how uh, Wenger went public uh, about his newly found... Uh, uh, attraction for for certain types of statistics and data analysis. Mm. Um, he's uh, he's got a team of people working for him who um, you know basically dissect every single game, every single performance, be it on the training run, particularly during the games. And uh, I'm, I'm wondering if he hasn't caught in a in a system that honestly is not delivering the truth that he's looking for. Um, how many times has he referred to the fact of creating chances? You know, this XG or whatever it's called, you know. Expected know, goals, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the number of times he's referred to that as if because um, the stats were good, it meant things were working okay. Right. Which is quite extraordinary. And, and I've, I've noticed that several times. I mean, it's... Uh, I'm wondering if perhaps there is a little bit of obfuscation going on here, and which is not necessarily something he's doing on purpose, but that he's not completely on top of things as far as this is concerned. And um, that's a major concern. Mm. And uh, when the question of leadership on the field is, is put to him again, as it is almost at every single press conference he gives, he tends to bat that away as if it really was of no import, and that was not the, the problem when uh, we will all agree that it is uh, a major problem um, within, within that team. And, uh, but, and as is the slowness, by the way, of, which is, again, something you would never associate with Arsenal. Normally, it's all about the quickness of the transmission of the ball. Um, when they don't play well, it means that they play laterally and so forth. Um, and we, we see them caught in... Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, in this kind of what I call the, the, the Nazari passing patterns, which means almost as if players were more interested to have good statistics at the end of the game and chose the pass backwards, the easy option. Yeah. <laughs> which is something that Nazari is very good at. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, here we are, you know, asking ourselves questions, but the more it goes, the more confusing it gets. And uh, what is also very worrying is the fact that 
um, I think you're talking about losing the dressing room. I think it's far worse to lose the fans. Mm. And when the atmosphere at, at the Emirates is, is really not good at all at the moment. And I'm not talking about people who you know are jumping in a soapbox and shouting Wenger out. And we we know who these people are. Um, and I certainly wouldn't be amongst those. I don't think you would be either. But um, amongst the people who would you qualify as um, almost like loyalists and people who always see the glass half full rather than half empty, even those people are, are disillusioned today. Yeah. And uh, and and you you have to say that you know you you fear that it might not end very well at all. That that's the thing, isn't it? That. Um... With the greatest of respect to to everything that he's done, it's it's hard to look beyond this season as, as you said, a huge opportunity lost for Arsenal as a football club, but for yep. Arsene Wenger as a manager as well. Um, that it's clear that he hurts when we don't win. It's clear that he 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 really craves success. He wants to win. Yes. Uh, he has ambitions, but he's he's unable to do it. And I think you know the, the 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 pain of that is made more acute by the fact that it's Tottenham and Leicester ahead of Arsenal rather than the established big teams. I mean, he spoke in his press conference yesterday. He was asked outright about whether or not he was going to stay as manager. Bit of interference on the line there, but um, whether he's going to stay as manager, he said, I always respect my contracts. And then we said, yep. asked again, is there any chance? And he said, look, I've already answered that question. So there's clearly no doubt in his mind that he is going to be in charge next season. So whatever you might think yep. about whether there a change is necessary or whether that's something you want personally or not, the reality appears to be at this point, unless something goes spectacularly wrong, that he will be the man in charge next season. So what does... What does he need to do? Obviously, in the very short term, he needs to get this team over the line in the Champions League spots. But after yep. that, what? Not what, a given. No, 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 definitely not a given. It's a challenge given the way that they're playing because uh, the form has been so so patchy and, and literally anything can happen in any game. But that seems to me, in the very short term, that's got to be the first goal. But in the summer, how can he... Um, how can he address the issues that he has and, and also that the, the team have? Can he change sufficiently to do what's required? Um, I'm not so sure um, because I, I genuinely thought that uh, getting Petr Cech was um, a, a major problem sorted. Um, and in fact, uh, Petr Cech has saved um, a number of games and uh, won a number of points for the team. I think actually, if you start thinking about the games in which Petrček was decisive and you think, my gosh, if he hadn't been there, where would we be? Mm. How many points would we have? Um, and you start to think, well, actually, is it only a question of personnel? It's partly a question of personnel. We all know that uh, Arsenal needs a new centre-half. We all know that they need uh, an extra body in the defensive midfield. You can't rely on that. Francis Coquelin doing that job uh, forever, game after game after game, or um, even if any, as I say, is an excellent acquisition, and you're still one body short at least, and you need probably as well what you would call an international class striker, though who could that be? I'm, I'm not so sure. Mm. Um, so, yes, there are areas to be reinforced. We all know about those. We've known about those for a long time. Some of it has been addressed. Some of it has not been addressed. Uh, but the problem is that whatever the personnel... Uh, we seem to be um, caught up with the same problems season after season. 
And um, it's, it's a strange thing because Wenger is not really a man of systems, you know, like Rafa Benitez, say, yeah. uh, or, or, or Fabio Capello. Uh, but on the other hand, he's not somebody like an, an Ancelotti, who is somebody who tailors his teams to the personnel that he's got. Uh, a great example of that being the year in which Ancelotti did the double and, uh, uh, with Chelsea, in which he tried something like four or five formations before finally getting something which was, he thought, and was right to think, uh, was the best possible um, disposition of forces on the field uh, to uh, exploit uh, his resources to the maximum. Um, you get a feeling with, with Wenger, okay, that's not very clear. It's, it's a 4 2 3 one or 4 one 4 one and that's that. And uh, there's very little tactical experimentation, uh, actually hardly any, uh, unless it is forced by injuries or suspensions. And that's, that's, that's not good enough. Mm. And, and it's a bit of a, it's, it's weird because in many ways, uh, Wenger is somebody who prizes uh, uh, improvisation. He, he loves players who are inventors of the game. You know, players like, like Thierry Henry, you know, that is Burkham, even if he didn't make um, Burkham come to, to Highbury. Oh, yeah. But he, he does like players who've got this X this factor. He, he likes that. And he wants them to, to express themselves. And most of his training is based on, uh, on, on, this, on, on creating uh, uh, situations and, and, and actions in which precisely the players can fully express themselves. You don't get the feeling that's the case at the moment. And, and you, you're wondering, you know, in any other context, um, 20 years at the head of a club is, is a hell of a long time. And, uh, you know, there, there have been examples of that in, in, in the past. Um, I can't remember the Aston Villa manager who stayed in place for something like 45 years. But these were different, different, this was a different era. Yeah. And the only one is, of course, Alex Ferguson. But the difference Alex Ferguson kept winning and winning and winning and winning until he retired. Mm. Um, this hasn't been the case with, with Arsenal. And so we are in a situation which is quite unique. Uh, in England, in Europe, mm. and I would say in in the world, and I, I'm I'm struggling to find another example in history. It's it's a completely unique situation uh, of a manager who has an an all-englobing power, um, which is superior to that of any of his colleagues that I can think of any time at any time in history, about perhaps Herbert Chapman. Yeah, um, and that's not normal. Okay. You know, that's not normal. No. And, and you know, we've talked about it a number of times. The problem is that, you say, okay, uh, he goes, then what? Yeah, well, that's <laughs> what I was going to ask you. I mean, let's say if, and we know it's not, but let's say if there was a, ma- a managerial change at the end of this season, are Arsenal as a club prepared for or set up for a new manager who's got to come from one of the the many younger new generation of coaches yes. is is the club ready for that without some kind of preparation um <laughs> there can't be a preparation there there will have to be a transitional period i'm not sure it will be as um, difficult or would be as difficult as some people have said consistently over the years but uh, because again uh, the squad is is a very high quality squad. I don't think you can possibly say the opposite. Um, so it would be a difficult transition, yes. But uh, not. We are we're so used to see uh, Wenger on on the touchline that we start to think that he's something like the Raven in the Tower of London. <laughs> that they, if the Ravens go, the whole thing is going to crumble. But the Emirates is not going to become a pile of dust because Arsene Wenger 
who helped create this stadium has decided or has been told to go. Mm. No, I mean, there are, there are, I mean, I, I personally thought that, uh, that there was an ideal candidate, but everybody wants him, which is, I, I've given his name already, he's kind of a magnificent manager in terms of precisely uh, transition. Yeah. Uh, but there are, there are also younger managers around, I and mean, Thomas Tuchel, for example, um, uh, even if you look in England, um, why not a young English manager? Why not Eddie Howe? I don't know. Um, it, it's not as if there was nobody out there. We just have to look up the Seven Sisters Road, I'm afraid, to see um, a transition which has been rather successful, much as it hurts to say so. Mm. But there, there are, you know, you could some people looking in the Premier League say, well, actually, Ronald Koeman, for example, the type of football that he plays and the intelligence and, and, and the type of personality that he is, he would be, uh, would be a good fit. Plenty, of, I'm sure plenty of others. Arsenal wouldn't be relegated. Arsenal wouldn't do an Aston Villa yeah. if, um, if, if Wenger was to be replaced by somebody else. Um, the question is, uh, we know that we have a board which is not necessarily composed of the people who are best equipped to choose a successor. We also have to ask ourselves the question, should Wenger or when Wenger puts an end to his managerial career at Arsenal, uh, will he become a director of football uh, or will he have a place on the board, which I think would be a disaster. Mm. Well, he's um, always said that himself, hasn't he? In fairness, he's always said that A, he wouldn't be involved in selecting the man to replace him, or B, that he wouldn't be really interested in, in moving upstairs. Well, we shall see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as in not selecting the man who would succeed him, I'm not too sure about that. Um, I'm sure he would. Um, I mean, his advice would be sought because, let's be fair, I mean, yeah. Uh, who takes the decisions? I mean, who would you know? Who would take the decision? I mean, uh, what Ivan Gazidis? I guess so. Who else is there? Uh, I don't know. You tell me. I no, I don't, well, it's Ivan not going to be. It's not going to be. That's it. I mean, not, you basically said it. Yeah, it's not going to be Josh Kroenke anyway. No, 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 no. It's not going to be Josh Kroenke or, or Daddy, um, <laughs> and it's it's not going to be uh, the current chairman. It's not going to be any of those people. Um, mm. It's, it's, a, it's a very odd situation. Again, it's a very, very odd situation, um, which is not entirely of, of Wenger's own making. It has to do with also with a board which has um, uh, decided to stay off football decisions uh, for the simple reason that uh, the uh, financial results have been excellent for, for a number of years. and. Mm. And bravo to that because it was not, um, you know, it was quite a challenge when when the club moved to the Emirates. But you know, doing very very well indeed. Thank you very much. Uh, but they have to start asking themselves, you know, when they see the crowd uh, against uh, West Brom, uh, where apparently there will be sometimes twenty thousand people missing in the Emirates, uh, that it cannot go on forever. The game is sold and out apparently. <laughs> Excuse me. I said the game is sold out apparently. Well, we shall see. We shall see. <laughs> yeah, we are recording uh, the, before West yeah, Brom, just so I'm, people know. Yeah, I, I, I was at the game against Crystal Palace where we were t- given the number of, number of tickets sold, which was 59,941, well, basically the usual figure. And we were looking across from our stand to uh, the one in front of us, and we could see swathes of empty seats. Sure. Um, so, you know, that's peculiar to, to the Arsenal. I'm not saying people are, are on strike and saying that some of them think, yeah, it's not worth it. Yeah. I won't bother. 
Well, it's extraordinary when you think how many people would like to be in that stadium, but there you go. Yeah, I mean, look, I've seen people to, today talking about how they're going to get to their first ever game because there are so many tickets available. So, I mean, that... Yeah. But, but, of course, the empty seats are because of just general, I guess, boredom and apathy and the fact that this... Um, malaise, that this yes. Yeah, malaise, malaise, yes. A good French word there. Thanks, Philippe. Mm, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, if, if that sort of... Look, I mean, in a way, it's, it's, it's obviously predicated on results, that if results uh, are better, the crowds are there. I don't know that there's much they can do to turn things around between now and the end of this season. But, you know, if that's, if that's the sort of thing that continues into next season, is that not the, the sort of scenario that forces... Uh, a previously pliant or dormant board uh, of directors into making some kind of decision? I think that as soon as it affects the revenue of the club, as soon as it affects the relationship with uh, the, the major sponsors and people start saying, well, come on, guys, it's not good enough. Yes, there will be a reaction. I mm. think if, if, if that's not the case, if um, the club qualifies for the Champions League again and does well-ish in that competition, as it tends to do, um, I think it will carry on and carry on. And, mm. you know, his contract, uh, current contract ex- ends in 2017. And yeah. there's no guarantee uh, that there won't be, uh, they, won't, they would want to add to that. It's, it's, a, it's a weird phase of stasis um, and, and, um, and also entropy. I'm using words which I normally don't put in my columns, but... Sure. Um, <laughs> There is something entropic about what is going on at the Arsenal at the moment, and you can't really see how to um, to redress it. Mm. I mean, we you know we have got to think back uh, just what four months uh, ago when we thought actually you know it might be okay, uh, still in all the competitions. Well, League Cup we don't give uh, monkeys about that anyway. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, looks all right. Qualified, you know. Uh, let's remember what it was like to get out of the of the group phase of the Champions League. You know, they needed to fight and they fought, yeah. and they were rewarded for that. Um, in the in the league as well, you thought ah, there've been some some decent performances. There've been you know, and then suddenly and again, yet again, yeah. um, the same sensation that well, that, that's it, running on empty. There's nothing left in the tank mentally and and physically as well, uh, which was really obvious in, in the game against um, against Palace. Yeah. Where uh, honestly, they, they physically the you know the the Eagles uh, were on top of the end, which yeah. is incredible, really incredible. It sure is. Listen, final thing. Uh, just uh, I, I just looked up a little quote there from June 2011. Ivan Gazidis, um and Arsene Wenger was under pressure in 2011. Um, it hadn't been a great season, and he was asked about what might precipitate a change of manager. And what he said was, Arsene is ultimately accountable to the fans, which, you know, to, ah. me, to me sounds a bit like, uh, you know, they're, well, I'm not touching this. You know, we'll, we'll bat it out there. But he said, Arsene is ultimately accountable to the fans. They ultimately make judgment. If you are seeing the relationship between the fans and the manager break down over time, that is unsustainable. But I don't think we're anywhere near that. We're close. Very interesting quote, and thank you very much for unearthing it because it gets me thinking, really. Because uh, at the moment, um, the mood amongst the fans, um, I don't know if there have been any, uh, any polls conducted, um, but um, among the regulars and season ticket holders and so forth, and the mm. people who fight over a ticket normally, um, 
I think that the respect is still there without a doubt and would always be there. But you would probably, I think now, have a majority of people thinking, thank you, but goodbye. Mm. Um, I genuinely think so. It might change. Uh, you know, a run of victories and um, a third, third place in the league and uh, some stirring performances uh, can help change the mood very, very quickly. Um, but unfortunately, you don't see um, the seed of of those thrilling, um, stirring comebacks uh, is yet to be sown yeah. by what we can see at the moment. Well, look, um, as I said, we're recording before West Brom. Uh, I, I'm obviously keeping fingers crossed that we are a bit more like yes. Watford and a bit more like Everton than we were against West Ham and Crystal Palace. Um, so, yeah, well, I'll keep fingers crossed for that. Philippe, a pleasure as always. Okay, Andrew, you take care. You too. Thank you very much indeed to Philippe. Uh, so there you go. Anyway... It's now later. Should I do some, like, time-passing music? Something like that, so you know it's actually later? Okay, well, that, that might help, so let's do that. So, it's later, it's after the game, and we've won. We won! We won! I like it. I like it. I went on Twitter straight afterwards and put out a very controversial opinion had to think about it a bit. Didn't want to just go heat of the moment. So my post-game tweet was, it's nice to win. That's right. I went there. I know some of you are thinking, you crazy man, you couldn't have. How could you stir the hornet's nest like that? You would think that just like, it's nice to win after a game that you won would be viewed in just the context of that game. But hey, it's online, it's the internet, it's true. People, you know what they're like, they're there. So I say, it's nice to win. And one of the first replies is, yeah, it's nice to win the league. This means nothing. It's true. I mean, yeah, man, we get that. I get it. You know, I do, I'm do. i aware of what's happened throughout this season. I've you know, written about it extensively and what have you, but... But thanks for that. Thanks. You know, it's it's uh, worth remembering that just because you say one thing doesn't mean that you're not aware of, you know, the bigger picture. There is a bigger picture. We know that. But if you talk about just one thing specifically, you know, it's okay. You can do that. Don't need to be reminded all the time. It was like the other day when I did the post um, called When... On the site, so it was like when Overmars did this and when we went the season unbeaten, blah 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 blah. And the reaction was fantastic, and uh, thank you again for all the great reaction to to that post. But interspersed <laughs> among all the positive ones and the people who enjoyed it, there's you know the usual when we lost eight two at Old Trafford and when we lost in the Champions League final. When oh really really? Because you know I I've forgotten all about those. I mean I I certainly didn't experience them either. This um, thing we have, even when someone says something really innocuous or tries to be in any way positive, it must immediately be countered by, well, what about blah, blah, blah? You think, well, if I'd wanted to talk about blah, 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 I would have. How about just taking something on its own merits? But anyway, it was nice to win tonight. So let's talk to somebody who was there in that thronging crowd at the Emirates tonight. Andrew Allen, good evening. Good evening. How was it? Um... Um, 
<laughs> well, it, I'll, I'll be honest. It, it was quite empty to start with. That's not particularly unusual at the Emirates for an evening kickoff. You always kind of question whether people realise it's an 8pm kickoff or a 7.45pm mm. kickoff. And they did say prior to the game that there were some problems on the the Victoria line, I think. It wasn't stopping at Finsbury Park. You know, all these things you start to think. And I mean, it, it filled up bit yeah. by bit. Um, do you know what? There was actually quite a, a pleasant atmosphere in the ground. It was like all the people who'd bothered to kind of make the effort to go kind of had a sort of sense of camaraderie about it. And it was it was all very relaxed. And there was actually kind of some concerted effort to make a bit of noise when the game initially started. Yeah. And um, it kind of always helps when you, you score an early goal. Well, that's what I was um, going to say. An early goal really uh, settles things down and a very nice goal too. Yeah, it really was. I mean, um, I mean, I haven't really watched the, the highlights back yet. I haven't had a chance, but it did look a bit like Ben Foster... <laughs> Kind of was doing his best Shea Given impression. He like he, he wasn't exactly moving very, very, very fast, or, or or making too much effort to dive down quickly. So um, mm. yeah, but no, I mean, great. I mean, I think that if I'm if I'm right in saying that's our third and fourth league goals from outside the area this season. Yes, apparently so, we've um, we've doubled our tally of and, uh, goals from outside the area and, tonight. You know, and Alexis has three of them. So you know, good on him. Well yeah, done. maybe there's. Um... Maybe they could do a stat for expected goals from outside the area when well, the shots are by Alexis. Yeah, in fairness, as soon as we got the free kick, I turned to to my mum and my mate who I was I was sitting with. I said, "This is two 0 We're definitely scoring this tonight." I don't know why. I mean, given that we barely scored any free kicks this season, you'd, you'd expect us to miss it. But I just had a feeling, and it was um, yeah, nice to be able to turn around and go, "I told you, I told you." Yeah, those uh, those little psychic moments. We, we can yeah. never uh, we can never predict them. That's the thing. You know, if we could, we'd all be much wealthier than we are yeah. right now. I mean, I, I shouldn't probably admit that for ninety percent of the free <laughs> kicks we've had on the edge of the area this season, I've said we're definitely scoring this. But yeah, yeah, yeah this corner, yeah. yeah, we're definitely going to do something with this corner. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, of course, then you know, on a night when when things could have become a bit more touchy and could have become a bit more difficult, you know, to have that two 0 lead and then miraculously managing to see out that six minutes or eight minutes between the second goal and halftime without conceding. It was yeah, almost the, as if this was something that they'd learned. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, when they hit the bar, they, they you know, Arsenal did do their best to kind of concede. Uh, at, at, at that, I can't remember. I'm not actually sure who connected with the header at the near post. It was there, um, Macaulay. It, oh, okay, right, yeah. I mean, it was a slightly hair-raising moment, but... You know, there was there was a relative sense of calm, I think, brought on by the fact that you looked at West Brom and thought this lot of shit, and they really can't be arsed. They, eh? um, it's two seasons I mean, in a row, isn't it? Now that they've come at the end of the season and yeah. not given a fuck. I mean, that's and it's so. I mean, I think I saw that Pulis has never actually he's lost every single game that he's played at the Emirates. Yeah. So you know, that's a nice little something extra to take from the evening. But I thought we were really nice. We were very fluid in midfield. I thought El Nenny was excellent. You know, he's a really um, you know, he's just perpetual motion, that guy. He's always looking for the next pass, always looking to make it easier for the other guy and the other guys in the midfield to find him. I think I'm, I'm really growing, you know, to, to like him. I I thought maybe initially he was a bit conservative, but mm. he's, he's um, yeah, he looks like he could be a really useful cog in the machine in the future. Maybe he's a, he provides a certain stability that we were missing in, in midfield. Um, and I thought it was interesting to watch Aaron Ramsey tonight in that, Certainly in the in, in the first half and maybe got a bit more adventurous in the second half as it went on and, and uh, some changes were made. But particularly in the first half, he was uh, very disciplined, 
mm. kept his shape uh, alongside El Nani, was always there for the ball. I think he um, he made the, mo- the most passes of anyone tonight. So he was there showing for it. And I think that reflected in the quality of his performance. It was probably the best game he's had in, in quite a while. Yeah, I thought I, I thought he was he was really really good. I mean, like El Neni, he kept looking to to be involved, which I think is really important. And you know, obviously, um, it looked though it looked as though Awobi had maybe been shifted slightly wider tonight. I don't know whether I was just and maybe Özil was given more of the responsibility in the middle, or maybe the two of them were just dovetailing like that as they mm. quite often do. But no, I was really I, I really like Ramsey. I think there was a couple of moments in the second half where. I mean, there was the one where he slipped over where he looked like he was trying to cross it and it looked like a really bad shot. And there was a couple of other opportunities where he maybe took the slightly more difficult Ramsey-esque option rather than playing off a, a simple ball. But I mean, those things, when they come off, they look great. And yeah. I think there's nothing wrong when you're tuning up trying to be a bit more adventurous. So, you know, good on him. Yeah, and look, I think when it, came, when it comes right down to it, had we been a little more clinical in the final third, thinking of Iwobi, thinking of Bellerin. Um, yeah, even Campbell at the end there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had, a, he had a nice impact when he came on, but I think had we found the final ball more easily a couple of times, we could have scored four or five, um, which is good, without being really troubled at the other end as well, which is good. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought, although Giroud didn't get on the uh, on the score sheet this evening, I thought his, um, his general hold-up play was pretty, pretty useful. I mean, he... You, you watched him and he, he looked like a guy who sort of realised that he should probably try and, you know, make an impact this evening because he's not, he's not had many opportunities to start games recently. Um, he had a couple of decent efforts. One of them was well saved, I thought, in, mm. the, in the last last few minutes. But um, It hit the keeper straight in the face. The keeper didn't know a thing <laughs> about it. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just oh, I have to look him. that back. That's yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean... If, yeah, I, I, it's the thing is, it's, it's it's performances this evening which should have been replicated in too many games where we've lost points. And yeah, I think to the the Southampton nil nil, the Swansea game we lost, the, obviously the the recent the recent game against Palace, and um, that's what kind of gets you, I guess, sort of frustrated. And you look back in hindsight and you think, you know, we're not a hundred miles away from mm. being there. You know, it's the the, the, the usual annual lament yeah. of, uh, hey do you know what we need we just need like I think probably one or two players one or two <laughs> one or two top class players top top quality players <laughs> who could come in and uh, not get injured and maybe make the difference over the course of the season yeah that would be lovely yeah I think you know Arson's Arson's got a few months to chew over that idea and maybe get back to us with an answer absolutely um, I, you know get, get a couple of transfers in around the 29th 30th yeah. of August and uh, everything should be okay I mean he, he'll what he'll do is he'll <laughs> wet our appetite by basically giving the biggest hint ever that we're going to sign that Zaka guy just as the, the window opens. Mm. We'll drag it out for a while. Eventually we'll sign him. We'll have the whole fucking welcome Zaka moment on Twitter. And then... Um, what number is he going to wear? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's good. I was thinking actually this evening because um, obviously uh, Mrs. Uh, Arteta and Riziki are leaving. That's the numbers seven and eight, which are going to suddenly become available. Yeah. I was looking at Iwobi's ridiculous number 45 and thinking he'll get pumped up the order which is mm. nice but yeah there might be a bit of a clamour for some of those those numbers yeah this is true I'll tell you what was interesting this evening and it's I've noticed this recently and look you and I are not the world's biggest Theo Walcott fans in the world but people are starting to boo him when he comes on and it's really, really it's really awkward not like mega boos but there are there are 
you know, you, you expect to hear a kind of either a polite round of applause or a, or a way and then, a, you know, a few chants of Theo, Theo, whatever. Sure. He's, he's, there are boos. There are boos when he comes on. It's really odd. And um, even I, t- tonight as well. Even tonight. Not kind of, maybe it's just the area I was sitting in. Not really vicious boos, but kind of this, yeah, there's a weird noise and it sounds like booing is what I'm saying. Yeah. And it's definitely directed at him because, you know, it was a double substitution. Campbell came on and then Walcott's name was announced and it kind of was like a sort of, some people sort of going, and other people going, boo. There was, there was definitely boos. Wow. Um, And I think it's weird. I mean, look, the guy has not had a great run of form recently, but he certainly doesn't deserve to be booed onto the pitch in a game when we're winning 2-0. There's no need to deliberately sour an atmosphere where really, quite obviously, we were going to win the game. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's something to maybe keep uh, keep a lookout for. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. As uh, yeah, I wouldn't say that I was the biggest Theo Walcott fan, but... Uh... Yeah, obviously things are things are a bit touchy anyway. Regardless um, yeah, of, of yeah, what exactly. happens, things are things are touchy. So look, uh, a weekend trip then to Sunderland. Yeah. Uh, who have Tottenham got this weekend? Do we know? Uh, I'm sure. Look. I'm sure we can find that out. I'll have a quick uh, quick look here. I'll look at the fixtures. All I know is that the Spurs fans in my office are, are very optimistic this weekend, and they're all certain that Leicester are going to drop points. Oh, are they? Okay. Fuck. You well, that's, is that, that's a good thing. Perhaps, do you think um, you could uh, tempt them into telling us to mind the gap in some way? Would that, would that be, <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. Wouldn't that, you know, just please, I think just tell even, us to <laughs> Even these Spurs fans have learnt their lesson. Oh, shit. Uh, so they're playing, oh, well, they're playing West Brom on Monday. So there you go. At oh. home as well. So West Brom, who are obviously the world's worst team right now. Yeah. Um, Leicester are playing Swansea on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, so, so we... yeah, Spurs have this weird run now of two. Well, having already played on Monday this week, they've got two more Monday fixtures. So they've got West Brom, and then they're away at Chelsea on a Monday again. On a Monday again. Oh, that's and, Monday. That's bullshit. All this yeah. fucking. Monday. I mean, if you're a Spurs, I mean, look, it's 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 kind of ridiculous the way that Sky have faffed around with these mm. things because I, you know, they're obviously trying to create some kind of tension, but I don't think dragging out these fixtures over three three days is, is really any good for anybody. But. Yeah, you know, stick some bullshit mid-table thing on Monday night that nobody really wants to watch well, because that's really There's a bit of me you. which would have said, you, you know, Tottenham v West Brom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it weren't for the fact that the decision was made quite recently, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fair point. So uh, do you think he was, with some of the changes tonight, he was perhaps resting for for uh, Sunderland? I mean, is it... I think I, I I caught just as I was leaving the stadium. He was asked about whether Wilshire would play at Sunderland, and I think he said, "I'm expecting a real battle at Sunderland" or something along those lines, which mm. makes me think that you know keeping Cochlan on the bench was a as a view to the weekend. Mm. Um, so I can see Cochlan and El Nenny continuing. I'd imagine Welbeck up against one of his former clubs because he used to be on loan at Sunderland, didn't he? Mm, we'll probably right. get we'll get a start against them. Um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, he's not really made that many changes recently. He seems very kind of reluctant to to change a formula, which I was going to say has worked, but <laughs> you know, hasn't lost. I guess is one way of looking at it recently. Yeah, that's true. So, um, yeah, I don't think he'll change things too much. I thought Murtasaka was, you know, decent enough this evening. Um, I can't. I mean, Defoe and um, who's the little ginger fellow with the economics degree that they've got up front? Oh, oh not Callback, the, uh, uh, the other Duncan one. Watmore. Dun- yeah, Watmore. 
he's quite nippy, so he might look at maybe bringing Gabriel back in for Mertesacker. But mm. um, yeah, we'll see. I, 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 at this point of the season, I don't expect him to change too much. I mean, no. I certainly, I, I don't expect you know to see Ospina back in the side just for the <laughs> sake of it or anything like that. But, no, for, no. Final um, game of the season, you know, Rosicky at right back. Arteta, oh, I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, you know, he's not. <laughs> He's not going to have enough sympathy substitutions to make, is he, on, on the last day of the season, I don't think. Because no. he's got to get Flamini on the pitch, Arteta on the pitch, Riziki on the pitch, probably Ospina, Walcott. I mean, it's... Well, you know, you know, he could. it could actually be done. It could be done because, uh, as it stands, third place is, is in our own hands. That's true. So yeah. if we win the games and if we, if we beat Man City, yeah. then we could play us... <laughs> <laughs> on the final day and you know it wouldn't make any difference to our final league standing yeah. so he could play if if the results go the right way he could definitely play like Ospina Chambers Plegi Plegazuelo or whatever his yeah, name yeah, is yeah, the yeah, whole yeah, lot yeah. Arteta Rosicki Flamini uh, against Aston Villa and it's also against Aston Villa well I mean look the way that we've done things this season I wouldn't be surprised if you know, Tom Fox came off the bench to score a winner for, well, for, for us. To, I know, exactly. But even so, they'd have Bernstein coming off the bench. He'd get a hat-trick, you know. Agbon Lahore with a couple of fags in his mouth and a couple of women <laughs> around his arms would probably score. Yeah, and a fucking big yeah. box of nitrous oxide. <laughs> <laughs> just, just laughing for the full 90 minutes, just disorientated around the pitch, and he'd probably still get some. Yeah. I, don't, I, I don't trust this Arsenal team to do things simply, is what I'm saying. No. I don't think anybody really does. But it would be nice if we were in a situation on the last day of the season to at least be able to give a, a proper farewell to sure. some of the guys. Sure. You know? All right. Well, cool. We'll leave it there for this evening. Um, you have a ready meal in the microwave to... Uh, I do. To... It's a very sad fact. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got? Oh, I think it's just some crappy spaghetti bolognese warm-up thing. Oh, yeah. Nothing like that at 10 to 11 on a Thursday. No, absolutely. Well, enjoy yeah. and uh, enjoy the sleepless night as it takes about two or yeah. three hours to digest. Yeah, the indigestion Beautiful. Is kick in. Beautiful. All right, man. Catch you All tomorrow. Right. Catch you later. Bye. Thank you to Andrew. You can find him on Twitter at A. Allen Sport. That is at A. Allen Sport. And, of course, doing stuff on Arsblog News. Now, before we go, and we're just about at the end, because uh, normally at this part of the podcast, we look ahead to the, uh, to the game at the weekend and the team news and all that kind of stuff. But, of course, we're not playing until Sunday, and we've just played, so we don't have any of that kind of stuff. And I don't know when there's going to be a press conference or anything like that. Uh, so we don't have any of that. But I do still have something to take care of. You'll remember a couple of weeks ago, we uh, we had Danny Carbassian on the show and uh, we talked about his new book, The Arsenal Yankee. And uh, there was a competition to give you uh, the chance to win one of two signed copies of that book. And I asked you to tell me the other two teams in England that Danny played for. Uh, he played for Ipswich Town and Burnley. And uh, the random number generator has done its thing bit delayed, apologies, but it's done it all the same. And the winners are Eamon Brady and John Luchinski. Uh, I think that's how you say it. John Luchinski, Eamon Brady, well done to you. I'll be in touch. I'll get your details and we'll get those books sent out to you. And remember, if you do want to pick up Danny's book, you can get it from thearsenalyankee.com. Just check out thearsenalyankee.com and you can find out all the details of how to get the book wherever you are in the world. So that is that. 
I will be here on Monday with James. We'll have another Arsecast Extra. Looking back on the game against Sunderland, hopefully another three points, hopefully another nice win. Another nice win would do me just fine. Uh, Thank you, as always, for listening. Much appreciated. You'll find us on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, review. uh, Download the Acast app. You can find us in there. Um, That's it. I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Hurt me